Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and here we are, closing in now on really the back end of the um, Gospel of Matthew. We're just a handful of chapters away now from f- moving through every single verse. So uh, today we begin chapter 19, and uh, we'll progress, um, obviously at the same pace, but we'll get through to the end. But I'm thinking 19 is going to be a fairly quick one. It can be um, this week on the divorce and next week we'll look at those last two sections the children coming to Jesus and the rich young man Uh, and then we'll begin with chapter 20 so we're just going to kind of hopefully stack some of these up a little bit more and uh, continue our journey onward so um, don't have a whole lot in terms of housekeeping for you Uh, it's just the same old business every single week you know if you listen to the show long enough that's what we do um just take the text and we talk about it. So, uh, I, I don't know if this one's going to really offend anybody, um, the teaching on divorce, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to do our due diligence and standing true on biblical doctrine, but obviously understanding that man is sinful and man has it, their faults. And so we have to take into account that, you know, things happen in life and things sometimes are beyond our control over uh, certain situations. And so, uh, we need to, uh, approach these with grace and, uh, with compassion and we need to understand it deeper. Um, I, I feel, especially with a topic like this to wield the sledgehammer and just drop it on the people who are being affected by this is a really a poor way to handle it. Um, and I know that there are just some, you know, Protestant groups out there that would rather carry the hammer, um, then be compassionate. So uh, let's dig into the text and we'll see what we got in store for us today. This is uh, Matthew chapter 19. Here we'll begin with the first verse. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, 
Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they will no longer, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And then he said to them, why then did Moses command, or they said to him, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is such a case of a man with his wife, is it not better not to marry? But he said to him, not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are Enoch's who have been with, who have been so from birth, and there have been Enoch's who have made, been made man, uh, by man, and there are Enoch's who have been made themselves for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. All right, so I just butchered those last few verses, um, but yeah. I don't know. I before I start exegeting, I've really it's been kind of an off week for me. It's actually recording it Thursday night before it releases tomorrow morning, so uh, I really haven't felt good this week, and I've been uh, busy with work and all that other junk in life, and um, so yeah, it's just been one fun, fun filled week. <laughs> so, all right, let's dig into the text here, and uh, um, let's see what we've got here. So Judea, right beyond the Jordan, it's the east side of the Jordan River. This is also known as Perea. Uh, so he's now, uh, gone away from Galilee. He's on his way to this portion here. Uh, verse two is the reinforcement, uh, of the picture that Jesus is performing countless healings. And, uh, this is kind of what John echoes towards the end of his gospel, but really John is trying to make a pretty broad statement. He's not, you know, stating that every miracle performed by Jesus would, you know, outweigh every book and print it, you know, in print in that time that John's writing it. But really what it's, it's, he's demonstrating the, the vastness in comparison to something vast. And yes, there were, you know, they had no, there was no print press, but they had obviously uh, books and scrolls and things like that in the time of John, obviously why we have our Bible today. But the the amount of healings performed by Jesus are really simply just f- miracles because we incorporate healings and uh, demon possession, uh, exorcisms and all that stuff included into that. But all of these miracles performed by Jesus uh, were vast and really we just couldn't mount all of them here. So Matthew simply states it here is that he just continued to heal him and it just shows that there are many that we just don't have record for. And that's totally fine. We're not supposed to know about those. We just know in general that they took place. So verse three, here we get the Pharisees coming up and trying to test him again. This is one of numerous other occasions that Jesus's opponents try to lure him into some self-incrimination. The topic this time is divorce. Now, as then divorce is presented as special challenges for God's people. And I think especially so with today, divorce is so easy that all you need to do is just say, we just don't see eye to eye anymore. And you can be divorced for irre- irreconcilable differences. And you can just part ways and it, nobody bats an eye. 
And I, I even, you know, you even see that within the Christian church. You just stop seeing eye to eye on things and you stop, you know, dating your spouse and you stop loving your spouse and you find that you want to do other things than be with your spouse. And so you can get divorced very easily in the U.S. So this is the topic of hand. It's always one that makes everybody super comfortable. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to just hammer through it. But um, so the, the Pharisees are presenting this question, is it lawful to divorce one's man, wife for any cause? So uh, any cause, some rabbis argued that men were completely free to divorce their wives, that it didn't matter what it was, they could do it. And we know that that's not what Jesus is going to say here. So rather than immediately answering his opponents, Jesus underlines God's intent for marriage as he quotes Genesis 1.27 and 2.24. Jesus emphasizes God's will that married couples share a lifelong monogamous union and that gender is an essential feature of God's created order. I am sorry, there are only two genders, male and female. I don't care what everybody else says. You have male, female, and mental disorder. If you out, if these people out here think to themselves that they are binary and all this other junk, then they have mental problems. Uh, I saw a video the other day on social media that just made me, my, like my eyes just cringed because this lady had this like huge long title for who she is or how she identifies. And she's a bi, lesbian, or transsexual. And she's just, I mean, it was like all of these terms that she was labeling herself with because she doesn't feel comfortable here and she doesn't this and she doesn't that. And, and that's a fault of the sin nature that we live in. And it's a fault to, you know, the mental dysphoria that is rapidly spreading across the Western world where people just can identify as whatever they want. You know, if you ask any of these liberals how many genders are are there, they can never tell you a number. And this is actually going to lead us into a chaotic society because, like in Canada, you can be fined if you misgender somebody. Well, how are you to know it's male or female? It's not they, them, zier, herbert, who gives a crap? It's none of that stuff. It is male and female. I, I have a really, really just a, I have a really bad sticking point on it because it just, to me, it's like, this is what is going to ruin our society is this, the, the fact that these liberals push this agenda down your throat. Now, I don't care whether you're conservative or liberal. I care what the Bible says. And I see the world as through the eyes of the, of the Bible. I, I leave my politics out of this. I leave my politics out of the pulpit. I preach what God's word says. God's word states very clearly here in the beginning, God made them male and female. That is it. We cannot allow for all of this other pressing forces into the church. Now, I will admit as a pastor, if I have people who come in who have these identity issues and they want to come and be a part of my church, I will certainly let them be in my church and I will preach to them the gospel and I will have conversations with them about the gospel in hopes that this will soften their hearts and free their minds from the bondage of that, of that sin. That's all I can do. 
you continue to hammer out the gospel. It's not about some political ideology or anything like that that's going to sway these people. It is either the word of God or it's nothing. Nothing else but the word of God will fix this problem. All right, enough ranting. Marriage. Let's get that back into it. Verse 5, they will therefore leave the husband, the father, the male, will leave his father, leave his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Right? So God has joined these two together. Let no man separate them. Marriage is a divine institution, not merely a cultural institution that can be changed at will. On the issue of same-sex relationships, they have a little chart here. I'm going to actually click on it because I'm curious as to what it states. Um, So there's a law here, uh, God's law, and it's got a little chart, unwritten law, written law. So let's read this little um, blimp here. Uh, In Romans, the Apostle Paul uses the word law in a variety of ways. This chart explains the distinctions, just as members of a construction crew will use a plumb line to keep their work aligned. The Creator gave us His law to keep our lives aligned with His will. Sadly, as sinners, we have fallen into disobedience, and therefore God's law has turned into a total, into a tool of condemnation. The law reveals our crooked ways and calls for God's judgment. But thanks be to God that Christ saves us by His grace. He has redeemed us through the gospel. He restores us as God's servants and equips us to work with Him in His kingdom. Here are some unwritten laws. And it looks like this is going to be pulling out of Romans here. So Romans chapter 1, verse 26, chapter 2, 14, and verse 27. The law of nature, God's universal law, equivalent to physical creation. In chapter 2, 14 as well, the law for themselves and influence of God's order, uh, God's created order continues in all cultures. The law of marriage, this particular example of God's order found in all cultures in chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. These are the written laws. The law, moral, civil, ceremonial law given through Moses and the Torah in the first five books of the Old Testament. The written code, the scroll of the Mosaic law and its literal interpretation. The law's requirements, the spirit or intent of the Mosaic law. The commandments, the Ten Commandments that make up the Mosaic law. Occasionally, Paul uses the Greek word uh, namos, law, to mean the rule of or governance of one thing or another. For example, the law of the mind struggles to rule over the law of sin and death. This refers to a Christian's desire to do good despite sinful thoughts and desires. Also, God's law refers to God's rule or will at work in the heart of the believer over sin and death. The term law does not always mean a written code. It can describe God's loving rule in the lives of people. So now I'm going to read this little blurb here on homosexuality and biblical teaching. The Bible never provides a detailed psychological answer for homosexuality. However, Romans clearly condemns homosexuality as a corruption of God's created order. The male body is not designed to copulate with another male body. The female body is not designed to copulate with another female body. The fact that people crave such relationships proves that something has gone terribly wrong with creation. Paul Paul will argue that homosexuality behavior results from idolatry and a corrupt understanding of creation. And he does that in chapter 1, verse 26 through 28 of Romans. So an example of uh, corruption here, many Roman uh, citizens uh, viewed homosexuality behavior as disgust uh, with disgust because they knew that it had undermined the Greek civilization. Such Romans prided themselves on their pro-society attitudes that held 
that homosexuality behavior was against was against nature. But Paul uses the example of homosexuality to make a greater point. A Roman who read Paul's letter might think, yes, homosexuality behavior is bad because it is bad for society. We don't do such things. However, to Paul's readers who shake their heads in their self-righteous disgust, he springs a trap with these words. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, and malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Each item in the list above undermines society and no Roman or any reader today could claim to be free from such sins. Starting with homosexuality, Paul indicates that all people doing such things that destroy society. Everyone is born with a depraved mind that leads to every kind of wickedness. Homosexuality behavior is no more damning than, the, than gossip, greed, or jealousy. Those who commit sins will face God's judgment unless they repent. The one who practices homosexuality behavior will face the same judgment as a gossip, slander, or liar. Homosexuality stands first in the list of the Apostle Paul because it so clearly demonstrates how people rebel against the Creator's order. God created sex for the procreation of children and to strengthen the marital bond that supports these children. Within the confines of marriage, sex is a wonderful blessing. Outside of that relationship, it is idolatry. People rejecting God's order, worshiping that what is created rather than the Creator. Christians should abhor the sin of homosexuality behavior as they abhor all sins. But at the same time, Christians should see homosexuals as people for whom Christ shed his precious blood. God wants us to recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. A homosexual, like any other sinner, needs to hear the word of God's law and the gospel applied to his or her life with the goal of repentance and faith. Martin Luther says this in chapter 2, Paul extends his rebuke to those whom seem outwardly to be righteous and who commit sins in secret. This is the nature of all hypocrites, to think of themselves as pure and yet to be a covetedness, hatred, hatred pride, and, and all of uncleanness. These are they who despise God's goodness and their hard-heartedness heap wrath upon themselves. Thus, St. Paul is a true interpreter of the law and leaves no one without sin, but proclaims that the wrath of God is upon all who live well simply by the nature of their own violation. He makes them to be no better than the obvious sinner. Indeed, he says they are stubborn and unrepentant. That's the goal of giving you the gospel and the law. The law and the gospel is to cause somebody to repent, to call them back into the fold of uh, the Christian world. Now, there are going to be many in those camps who reject this message because they think that there's nothing wrong with them. Their pride has, you know, eventually, basically has evolved into them saying, well, God made me this way. No, God made man in his image perfectly. Man disobeyed God by failing to keep God's law. And so Adam and Eve fell into sin. 
They were kicked out of the garden and through the procreation, that sin of Adam has gone through every generation. Yes, David writes that in the womb, God has formed us. God still forms us in the womb of our mothers. However, the seed of Adam is still present in us and it has not been eradicated yet. Therefore, we still are born with that sin in our lives. And so that sin is the cause of these things. But what Christ is pushing here is this, that marriage is a divine institution. There is nothing that will can, that can separate these things that God has called together. And God can only give the blessing to a male and female because marriage was designed for procreation, to have families, to have children. This was the original promise given to Adam and Eve. It's the promise to Abraham. It's the promise to Isaac. It's the promise to Jacob and all the way on to go and be fruitful and multiply, to have children. That is what marriage is. It is not a means by which a man can just use a woman, get what he wants, and divorce her. It's not, the, it's not where a woman can use a man and get what she wants and divorce him. Marriage brings two people in Christ together for, for their entire lives. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God desires that married couples remain together until parted by death. Now, I've been with the same woman for 20 years. We were high school sweethearts. We got married uh, 16 years ago. We have two wonderful kids. And I still look at that woman every single day and just marvel at how lucky I am and how beautiful she is because it's it's like uh, like a fine wine, and I even hate to equate it like this because she just gets her beauty just becomes more radiant the older she gets. And she doesn't listen to this podcast, so I'm not trying to butter her up, but it is so true. She is she is just I, I couldn't imagine my life without her. And the only thing that would separate us in this time is one of us passing. And by golly, I'm in it to the end. I tell her all the time, I'd love nothing more than to grow old and sit on a porch when we're 90 years old, sipping lemonade and reminiscing about these days. That's what I want. That is what marriage is. It is the battle. It is the fight. It is the determination to make it to the end. And I'll tell you, it's not easy. There's no, there's no perfect marriage. Our marriage isn't perfect, but there is absolutely no perfect marriages out there. We, we have our fights, we have our struggles, we have our disappointments, we have our doubts, we have our concerns, we have you know, jealousy even. We have all of that stuff that makes us human happen in a marriage. But what matters is we don't go to bed mad at each other any night, never for 20 years. Even when we were dating, we didn't live together, but we would always end our time with each other that day on a good note. We never leave mad. We don't storm off. We don't get into the car mad. We don't drive away mad. We stand and we work through our problems. Marriage is a fight. It is a battle. It is going to, it is going to be the hardest thing next to raising kids that you will ever do. But it is so worth it. It is the most beautiful thing God has given us outside of Christ. It is the most beautiful thing that he gives to his church is the ability to have this wonderful family. And I... I, I would say as a pastor, divorce is the last resort I would ever want to give somebody as a means to get away because I can tell you it's going to be hard work to fix it. And divorce, especially when children are involved, divorce is a very, very, very messy and problematic solution to a few minor problems. Divorce will never, ever do anybody good. It will always be a scar on the life. 
Now, I will admit I have plenty of people in my congregation, just as my parents have been divorced. Um, you know, my mom's since remarried to my dad, who I've known him for since I was three years old, and I consider him to be my dad. Um, you know, I know there's people in my church who have divorced and since remarried, and and there's nothing wrong with that either. So let me let me go to the other side of the pendulum here. As much as I want to advocate for people to stay married, there are times when marriage is not possible. When one person is either pulling towards you know the the way of Christ and the other person is pulling away from it, these two cannot stay together connected. They're like magnets pulling in opposite directions. They're going to end up uh, repelling each other. If one person finds that they are uh, not getting the love or attention or desires they need because their spouse's attention is turned elsewhere, and I can find it today in social media that we are so glued to these phones, we're so glued to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all these other platforms that we have lost the ability to communicate with our spouse. And we have lost what it means to be a husband and a wife in a relationship, parents to children in this construct of a family because our phones take precedence over all of that now. And that is damaging and it is very, very troubling. But I can see to the other end of that spectrum that there are situations, there are times when abuse takes place or sexual immorality as Jesus gives us as being the only reason here for divorce. And we'll talk about that here in a moment that there are means by which divorce can potentially happen. And because a spouse is, you know, left broken, doesn't mean they can, that they will remain broken. You know, I have a couple in my church, I'm not going to name names, but they uh, both come had gotten divorced. They'd remarried and they have been in our church for a number of years and they are just amazing people. I love them both. And they are, they are right for each other because it just, just one of those things that years back, they were completely different people and things happen. I get it, you know, but Jesus is telling us that this right here is the only thing that he gives us as a reason. We're going to talk about verse nine here in just a moment, but he is basically trying to surpass what Moses gave these Pharisees, right? So the Pharisees said, well, Moses gave us this you know, this command that we should just give them a, a certificate of divorce and just be, you know, send her on her way. And he says, yeah, because you guys were, you guys had hard hearts. You guys were so infatuated with yourselves and you're so drawn into your lust and your desires to do other things that you forgot your love. You forgot your spouse. And he was, he goes on to say that that's not what it was in the beginning. That is the furthest thing. It was Adam and Eve in the beginning. They were bound together by God and told to procreate, to be fruitful and multiply. That's what marriage is. It's a bond in front of God that will state we will raise a family. We will be committed to each other for all of our lives. Now I understand that, you know, not every couple is going to have children or be able to have children. And, but the premise to marriage is for procreation. It's to have sex and have children. That's what it is. Sorry for your, It'd probably violate your PG rating there, but that's what marriage is. But Jesus gives us here, verse nine, he says, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another has committed adultery. So Jesus does not teach that divorce is required if husbands or wives have sexual contact with another outside of marriage. In some cases, though, repentance and forgiveness, couples are able to overcome such immorality. 
this exceptional this exception clause simply allows for the possibility the committing an adultery divorce and remarriage for reasons other than sexual immorality result in a union that is inherently adulterous jesus permits remarriage only if one is widowed or the victim of a spouse's sexual immorality now this is only focused around the permis- uh, the, the sexual immorality of a person right but I, as a pastor, and I would venture to say, based upon what we see elsewhere in Scripture, that a person should not stay in a relationship if they're being spiritually, physically, or mentally abused. That is not a healthy relationship. You are unequally yoked with your spouse. You need to get out of that. You need to seek help. You need to get to your church, get, talk to the police, get out of those relationships. That is not healthy for anybody, and I don't see why it, it, it would not be in a violation of Scripture. Just because Jesus simply makes the statement here, he is basically trying to truncate the reasons that Moses gives and the excuses that the Pharisees are trying to use because they will find everything, right? There's just that irreconcilable difference. That's what they want. But Jesus is saying, no, it is so much more than that, right? Sex in a marriage is good. That is what he's saying. Procreation is good. But if that sex goes outside of the marriage, that is where you can be permitted. But again, that's not even the reason to divorce somebody. He, he's saying that you can't actually repent and overcome that. You can't offer forgiveness in those. Just because a spouse cheats, and yes, it would break my heart, and, and I know it would break many people's hearts if it happens because that trust is broken, but... It can be something forgiven. It doesn't have to result in divorce every time, but he's saying it could. He's saying this is the reason. But I would also venture to you know assess based upon Scripture, and even though it's not explicitly read here in the text, based upon what Jesus says, especially in uh, chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount where anger and all those other things are labeled, if a spouse is in a relationship with another and they're being physically, spiritually, or mentally abused, it, they need to get out of that relationship. That is not healthy for them. And so as a pastor, those would be my only two excusable reasons for divorce, abuse or sexual immorality. I would not have really any other reason I could give somebody. If there's difficulties, then let's talk about it. Let's work through them. Let's figure out, you know, maybe she's just tired of him, you know, working all day and then coming home and sitting on the couch. And maybe he's just tired because he works all day and wants to come home and sit on the couch. So we have to learn about expectations and how do we communicate better? Because communication, when it falls apart, a marriage is, is in trouble. Communication has to be key. You have to talk to your spouse. You have to be vocal and upfront with them, with your struggles and your victories, with however you're feeling. You have to be an open book to them. Verse 10 and on, we're getting out to our time here. I'm just ranting on this one. I was hoping it would be a short episode, but I guess I decided not to (laughs) make it short. Um, Better not to marry. Jesus' disciples kind of blurt this out because they are shocked by his strictness. And then in uh, verses 11 and 12, Jesus changes the subject a little bit, speaking about those who opt to remain unmarried for positive reasons. Clear to that it is to receive a special gift so that they can be happy and be chastely chosen to remain unmarried. So Rome, uh, Paul writes this in Romans 12, 3 as well. It is better for some people to remain unmarried. It simply is. If, if they cannot control themselves, then it might be better for them to not be married. That's just, um, that's just a, a particular point, right? 
Um, the Enoch's here in verse 12, it's a variety of of physical or psychological reasons. Some seemed destined from birth to lead a single life. Uh, others have undergone life experiences or losses that have led them to singleness as a better option for them. Some do not marry for the sake of the kingdom. Paul would have been such a person as noted in first Corinthians chapter seven, a single lifestyle allows him to devote all of his time and all of his effort into the missionary calling. According to God's created order verses four through five, the church cannot forbid a person to marry, not a, the church cannot forbid a person to marry not even a church worker. Staying unmarried will only be a blessing if God's if God has prepared that person to wholeheartedly embrace a single life. The law of nature and human beings cannot be removed by vows or enactments. So this is kind of stands in a, opposition to the Roman Catholic Church when it, with the you know the priests not being able to marry. The church cannot forbid that. The, the premise to the human body is to desire companionship. And that is why we, we have marriage, is to be able to bond with another person and experience that life with another person. So all that, next week we're going to dig into verse 13. We'll wrap out chapter um, 19 here. So we'll go from verse 13 to verse 30, and we'll deal with those last 17 verses. We'll talk about this little parable that comes up. Um, and... This, well, it's not a parable, but this will be the rich young man. The last part here, we'll talk about what he must do. Um, and we'll finish off that. So that's uh, my rant and rave here. But like I said, marriage takes work. It takes dedication. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take your hard work, your sleepless nights. It's going to be difficult, but it is the most rewarding thing I think any person can do. is to commit themselves to somebody else while serving the Lord. And I pray that if you are in that, you know, season where you're struggling in your marriage to seek help, to talk to a pastor, to get guidance, be open and honest with your spouse and get the help you need. And if you have a great marriage, then be a blessing to other people and share your successes and how you've been able to do that. So that way you can keep others bonded strongly together as well. This is such a crucial thing I feel like the church sometimes just doesn't take to heart too much is how to keep marriages and people strong and rooted in in the word of God to be committed to themselves and to their community. And I think that's a call that all churches should have is to have the ability to be open and honest about relationships, the struggles and the hardships, but while also being upfront and honest in the statement that this is going to be difficult, but it is a beautiful difficulty. It's a wonderful difficulty. So, all right, I'm going to wrap it up, guys. It's been a little bit longer episode, so I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, it's Friday, so get to church on Sunday, and Merry Christmas. Uh, well, yeah, you'll have an episode that drops on the 22nd, um, but uh, this is like the week before, so we're, we're right on the cusp here. Um, I am hoping to record my rantathon. I was hoping to have a guest on, but due to me being way too busy, I cannot get time to schedule him. Um, so it's just going to be me. I don't know what I'm going to rant on quite yet. I have a few things in mind, but um, we'll drop that on New Year's Day. So have a great week, guys. God bless. We'll see you all later.